Hey, everybody, to celebrate our 300th episode, we're doing a live podcast at the Knitting Factory in Brooklyn on March 16th. We've got Blake Schwarzenbach from Jawbreaker, Brian Baker, Minor Threat and Bad Religion, and Laura Stevenson. It's going to be awesome. If you want to get tickets, you can find links at our website, goingofftrack.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Going Off Track. Hey, Jonah. Hey, Brad. <laughs> Hello. Steven. Hello, Benny. <laughs> Hello. The whole gang's here except for Steven Smith, who is sick. Yes, no, Steven? his children are sick. Children are sick. Which he probably offered, means he's sick. Right? He yeah. offered to send germs. He will be. He's not now. He will be. Kind of Eventually. So if you have <laughs> kid, If you have kids and they get sick, what are the odds you're going to get sick? Like 80 to 90 percent? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, because it's not like... You can quarantine yourself from your own sick children. Like, you have to tend yeah, to them. Right. You, know you can put I mean? it off, like... But, I mean, like, I remember when I had, like, my daughter was sick, and then my son got sick, and I felt like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get through this, because, like, it, you know, it had been, like, a week, and I was no. feeling good. And then there was that one moment I'm on the couch, and he sneezed right into my mouth. Yeah. And I was like, that's the moment. Well, that's the, that's the <laughs> kicker. It's not just the illness. It's that they're completely disrespectful <laughs> and not courteous. They don't understand any boundaries of like hygiene and personal space. They're fucking disgusting. So, Sounds like the New York City subway, huh? Oh, a little topical humor. Yeah. So, <laughs> how about this interview, huh? How about speaking of sick? Woo! <laughs> how about this interview today uh today marked the return of uh andrew wk yeah uh the i'd say triumphant return. the triumphant return Absolutely. uh andrew wk has a album coming out on march 2nd called you're not alone uh, i just released a song called music is worth living for and uh yeah what did you guys think of this interview i thought it was super awesome oh my god i think we went on like a journey yes through through space. Yes. And then I think we covered some some things that aren't always covered with Andrew WK. I agree. I Such agree. as his outfits. His outfits. Uh, if you've ever wondered I'm glad how you guys talked about that. Yeah. I wasn't here. How he got those shirts so perfectly dirty. Yeah. It's like Benny, they that don't was all you. I yeah. mean, they don't, was that was all I'm you, Benny. They don't come yellow. They, they don't, don't come yellow. <laughs> we you find know? out how to yeah. turn them yellow. Yeah. We find out how to deal with road rage and the, the universe. I yeah, mean, it, it, I really appreciated that. It goes all over the place. So he's an interesting man. He toes the line, right? Yes. You don't really know what he's all about. No. He doesn't He doesn't tip his cap. He he plays the center of the universe. He does. And I kind of dig it. Yeah, I don't know if we know him more or less. <laughs> but nonetheless, very, very interesting <laughs> interview. Thanks to Andrew WK for coming by. So let's yeah. listen to this episode with him now. I think I think anything that they can ever connect the possibility of ever contributing to anything that in turn could contribute to the possibility of someday getting cancer, they put this warning on. Yeah. Which is interesting because there's so many other hazards. A million. That would be more likely to be harmed. You should from. put it on a Big Mac in that case. Well, I think they probably are working on that. Yeah. I'm sure they've been well, trying someone's to do probably that. working on that. But I mean, yeah. you know, why not have warning labels about everything else crossing the street? You know, it's raining outside. Don't go driving. And I guess they kind of do, but they're the only place that takes it to that level. It's obviously a point of pride. Yeah. 
And I suppose they see it as a responsibility. When you get in on airplanes, on the outside, right by the boarding, uh, yeah, down the jetway, yeah. yeah. The, when you're crossing that threshold, where the plane will put maybe like the awards they've won and things like that, there'll also be one up over there that the state of California has found that materials used in this plane have been shown to contribute to cancer. So they've even got it on the planes. Wow, and that's just because that plane may go to California at some point. <laughs> yeah, or someone it. from California might. On this it, is yeah. one thing I've always wondered is, I mean, I'm sure you've been on flights, thousands of flights, hundreds maybe at this point. I don't know what your numbers That's are. That's a good question. I, don't <laughs> um, I have some theories, but why are there still ashtrays built into brand new airplanes? They are on yeah. brand new ones. Really? And and the the only answer I can come up with is that this is a long-term plan for the aftermarket mm. of this plane, like like twenty years from now, we're oh. going to sell this to a country that you can smoke on flights. This is my only wow. guess. I actually think that they reuse parts in building oh, even possible. new planes. Is that like, right? A lot of them are just refabricated parts, repurposed plane parts. Definitely. See how do you have to put a sticker on a plane that it'll give you cancer, but you don't have to put a sticker on saying. We built this plane with aftermarket plane parts. I'm sure it's somewhere in you the know? fine print when you buy your ticket. I would love that and one. you can accept that <laughs> no one reads. Really? I'm sure. Aftermarket plane the, parts? Something in the legal, I'm sure. We know. admire their <laughs> resourcefulness when it comes to reusing anything. I mean, it's better to have it go back into a plane, I guess in theory, than in a heap. That's they true. can reclaim it. And if it is something relatively harmless, like an armrest... I, I'd rather they reuse an armrest than an engine, I suppose, or yeah. some flap on the wing. I remember being particularly fascinated <laughs> as a child. This is one of my rare childhood memories, and it could have been around the age of four or five, sitting in a seat where the armrest had one of the ashtrays that popped out in that re- really satisfying way, that brushed yeah. mm-hmm. steel. Uh, totally. And just that enough give and enough smoothness that it was somewhat challenging to pull out and then very satisfying to push in. Yes. And I think I opened it and closed it until the man sitting in the row <laughs> next to my mom and me asked her to ask me to please stop. It's funny you mention that because I have in my exactly head, you, you definitely just sparked a childhood yeah. memory of extremely satisfying experiences with yeah. those ashtrays. Like really hard gum. Yeah. In crusty yeah, gum. And there's right. the flip top ones too. There's the ones that open like frick. And then, yeah. yeah, and then the, and then there's ones that you push the cool, one like, side. trap door. Yes. Yeah, the trap yeah, door, yeah, yeah. and, and some even had the little uh, S coil in there to yeah. rest the cigarette. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, you know. Yes. Remember, you could smoke in malls. Like you just walk. Yeah, you know. I like, do remember that, and it mingled with the smells of the food court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I remember when people smoked on planes, and it was yeah. really intense. Because it was always in the like back, going to Europe. People smoked on planes when I was a, when you know when I was young. You could still you know in the back or anywhere. I think anywhere oh, wow. international. I I don't really. I was really young. Yeah, but uh, well, I mean the smoke. It doesn't matter if it's in the back. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's the same smoke. thing about yeah. no smoking at like Denny's. Like you sit the table next to them. Right. Yeah, <laughs> non smoking yeah. section. No how many feet sections, away? Yeah, they didn't really work out. Uh, I was just in Japan and people smoke inside everywhere. Though. Yeah, that's still going there. But like, they've been. Th- that's been in the works of. Uh, they've been attempting to dismantle that for a while. And the first step, I guess, as it happened here, kind of is now certain businesses have taken the lead where they no longer allow their employees to smoke yeah. in the office. Right. We were in one office building that it was clearly no smoking, no smoking signs yeah. everywhere. But restaurants, you know, people just eating, smoking right next to you. 
I remember, I remember the big to do around here when they finally took the smoking out of bars in New York. I mean, that was like people went crazy. Oh yeah, yeah. It was interesting. It, at first, I felt, and I didn't smoke. Were you in New York at that yeah. time? Probably were, right? And I felt somehow disappointed, <laughs> I even too. though I didn't even go to bars that much at that yeah. time. But then I remember. I think I remembered how nice it was to finally get home and not smell like the bar or like the cigarettes. Right. Yeah. That was the only plus side. Otherwise, I think I kind of liked, I guess maybe the decadence of it or what the, the, the smokiness. I mean, smoke is appealing in in its own way, just like a campfire or the, a birthday candle going out or incense. There's something interesting and, and misty about it, right? It makes the atmosphere look different. That's true. And the smells, if you're having fun and you associate that fun stuff with all the surrounding elements and the sensory experience, then all of a sudden the smoke is fun and you feel like people are taking part of your fun away, even if you don't smoke. But I think it is probably for the best now. <laughs> but as movies. a singer, did that ever mess with you? Uh, maybe, well, I don't know. Maybe. I never really smoked that heavy, uh, just tobacco. I mean, I guess at times I did and yeah, I mean... Or even being in like a club somewhere yeah. where people just because I remember like seeing yeah, shows, it makes your it was throat like, burn and your yeah. eyes sting and stuff like that. I, I, uh, I was once Anti Flag would play and they'd be like no smoking. Oh yeah, and yeah. people would be like oh in have, the venue in the right. venue and people are like losing their minds. <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah. bit bold, but I have noticed recently even at outdoor festivals where someone would be smoking on the side of the stage or something like that. So I couldn't see, but you could smell it and you, and it had a, an affecting quality. I wouldn't dare tell them to not do it but i i thought wow now i remember how this used to be when there was a lot of smoke and it was uh, i guess a bit unpleasant yeah i feel like in some ways now it's like at least a, at least a, here on the east coast it's so taboo to smoke now that even at an outdoor festival if you see someone smoking it's shocking <laughs> yeah like, that person is like true. a cowboy now totally yeah, the joe camel true. marlboro thing proper work the totally. guy who's smoking at a festival now might as well be wearing like chaps and a cowboy hat <laughs> they're like a real a real buffalo soldier out there true. it does stand out as an interesting as something remarkable it's like huh but is it nostalgia smoking. or is us falling for the marketing ploys of many, many years just in, uh, maybe ingrained Maybe all into those things us. combined. I yeah. mean, my dad smoked still. I, I think he still does. I mean, I basically would say that he still does smoke. And so I have a lot of connections to that smell, the way his office smelled, mm. his clothes smelled, his Cars. car smelled, yeah. oh, his car. Yeah. And I, when I first got, I, my first car was his old car right. that had been in storage for a long time. You can't time. get that smell out. And, you could, and no. I didn't want to. And right. I let my friends all smoke in the car so that it would keep having that smell I associate with my dad. Uh, and then you do wonder, well, is this all some part of a manipulation? And, and I think that we can observe all those facets to it and not need to make a judgment <laughs> right. about it definitively. And you can still say, but I don't want to smoke. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I, I've given up on trying to tell my dad to not smoke or things like that. I have a, a, another friend who's actually sort of similar age range an older gentleman who told me, he said, some people were just meant to smoke. Uh, I thought, wow, I never thought about it like that. Like it was his destiny. Uh, and to not do it would be uh, disrespectful to his path in life. Wow. So I said, hey, you know what? It'd be like me, someone telling me to cut my hair. So or I don't mean, play piano or something. Since not long after the invention of fire, people have been smoking any manner of things, right? Yeah. I mean, it is 
kind of inherent. <laughs> the first thing they did, right? Once they lit something, they said, let's put that in our mouth. Yeah. And suck. <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't, for the life of me, I wish, like, I'm not really into time travel or anything like that. I don't have that big of an interest in going back and be afraid of, like, ripping a weed out of the ground and Ray Bradbury <laughs> thing will happen and all of a sudden we're dead. But I do really wonder who was just the first person who figured that out with weed? To smoke. Just like, who's the first person oh, who threw Wan? that into a campfire and it's just like, oh, hell yeah. You know, I don't know. I, I was just I, talking I, about this today, to oddly enough. I mean, where did it, where was it growing? I guess we could maybe pin, you know, we could at least give it a a yeah. geographic term of like where it was even possible, right? I think it grow, grow, grows all over the place. Even in super cold? The thing needs to well, be maybe moist. Maybe not super cold. I don't know. Moist. It's the quite robust, right? Weed, it's a weed. Probably. That's part of the beauty. Yeah. It, it's, it's resilient and it's not very picky, it seems. It, but there must have been some person yeah. in, a, a, in a tribe whose job was to test out all that they had access to, every plant, every fruit. I feel like it's indigenous to the Americas. Is that possible? I don't know. I mean, like, hemp production was... I I mean, you know... Hemp was used for... It's true. ...for a year, like, I don't know how long. Could be, right? It could be. I mean, people at Terrace McKenna have, like, these stoned ape theories about... Apes eating mushrooms, psychedelics, and then inventing fire and sort of well, that's what talk gave about them those like breakthroughs. The, yeah, well, exactly. So yeah. that could be. I was going to talk about like the burning bush theory. Yeah, that it was like a psychedelic trip. Yeah, actually, there's a lot of stuff like that. Andrew, yeah, that makes you, sense. you mentioned uh, destiny mm. uh, about smoking, but it's also something that kind of comes up. This is like my version of a segue. <laughs> that's <laughs> it's quite, it's quite bold. Good. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, <laughs> Well done. <laughs> You're really getting good at this. Yeah, How many episodes you. in are we at? Almost 300 in. Yeah, and I like to do segues and then point out I'm doing it as I'm doing it and then come back to it. I'd like to know that it was about episode 275 that Jonah started coming in with notes. Yeah, this is, oh, a, wow. this is a recent yeah. thing, but I wanted to prepare for Onward this Onward and one. upward. Hey, progress is progress. Right? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is some... Do you believe in kind of the idea of destiny? Because I know in the record you talk about kind of making your dreams your destiny. When it comes to beliefs in general, and I'll try not to get too vast here to keep it flowing, but it's almost going back to what we said about having all these different views on something like smoking without having to necessarily settle on one definitively. So I have views on things like destiny, and I think personally, the best way I've been able to interpret experiences that have been hard for me to explain otherwise is to attribute them to this concept of destiny. Do I believe in it? Well, if someone said they didn't believe in it and they haven't had experiences like that, I wouldn't say, well, they're wrong. I would say, okay. But I think it's a way we have concepts that we can apply to mysterious parts of life that help to uh, maybe not make them less mysterious, but to to, to help us uh, embrace them differently in a positive way. So what might be confusing and perplexing and maybe where you feel like you're not in control you say, oh, well, it's just destiny. And then you, you've turned yourself over to this, this sense of a, a path or a purpose that might not be rational. It might not have to do with what you want to do, but what you're meant to do, what Almost you were born predetermination. to do. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I have seen a lot in my own experiences that seem to point towards that. Hmm. So I guess I live as though that's what's going on for me. I mean, now, that being said, like, do you only, like fall on that concept of destiny like when you need it you know like when you're like it's convenient well no kind of like the idea that like shit like this happened i can't explain it this sucks 
maybe like destiny is a good way for me to like internalize. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's when it's most helpful. Sure. Yeah. Cause if you feel like you're putting one foot in front of the other and carrying out a plan that you devised, you, you don't need something like destiny cause you can take credit for yourself. But when right. something goes bad and didn't go as you planned, right. you think, Oh, well it's destiny. Uh, it's a way of finding comfort for sure. Or again, of turning yourself over to your own life and maybe looking at it as a, as a test, as an ordeal, as a challenge that you're supposed to uh, learn from and and triumph uh, through, not not necessarily triumph over even, but to, to 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 somehow develop some new attribute, even if it's something as simple yet uh, challenging as patience or kindness or being able to not get your way and be okay with it. So all of it, I try to think of as uh, there's a point to all of it. Mm. And again, there may not be, right. you know, and I think it's okay to question that too. But if I have to settle on one mindset as an, uh, an operational mindset, I, I, I settle on the, the point, the, 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 the purpose, the meaning, the destiny, the quest, all those things. Cause it's, it's, it's more interesting for me. Where do you find in in that like some? Because you know, I feel like I almost operate in the same way, where it's like you're left with certain choices in life, and you need to operate in the best way you can and find the best way you can to move through it. But that only leaves you so much from like the functional side of things. Like, where does that leave you on like an emotional side of things? Or like, you know, um, you can make like an actual like. I'm going to do this and no matter what, I'm going to figure out a way to do it. But that's like a tangibly physical thing you can do. It's black and white. Like where do you find the answers for like the gray area? Like the things that are, that you just can't pinpoint like that. Sometimes you just let them float there yeah, and you don't, you, 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 you don't get to put them in a, this, that or the other right. spot. Don't even try to, manage or control them i think you can engage with it but you don't ever get it it never will settle anywhere so there will be whole parts of life that will remain confusing right and to be able to accept them as perpetually confusing i think is an important developmental step sure because it's quite stressful and it's not pleasant uh there's a maybe early 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 on in life where everything seems quite strange and, and amazing and overwhelming our instinct is to start locking things down so we can make sense of things and figuring out how to navigate in a very basic day-to-day sense, including physically, as you're saying, I want to do this, so I'm going to do this. Right. And when when things don't work out that way, we get frustrated and angry because sure. it, we wanted to do this. Why isn't it happening? And then we maybe a bit older start to dismantle some of those assumptions and some of those uh, opinions and beliefs and, and some of that structure and question it. And we can even blow it all apart. And then maybe after it's all blown apart, you realize there was a reason that some of it held together better when it was assembled. So you reassemble it, but maybe with more uh, understanding or appreciation. Mm. I think uh, I think it's half and half to some degree. You, you're trying to, in a weird sense, limit your emotion, I think, so that it doesn't freak you out. Right. So that you have some kind of rational... Uh, stability in your life and are not overwhelmed by your inner feelings but you're also trying to get some kind of control on the rationality so that can be there to serve the emotions (laughs) right to carry out the mind wants to carry out the well the mind wants to be in charge of everything and then the heart is quite gentle 
But if you can somehow, I think, you try to carve out a space for the mind to do the will of the heart, right? To do that work. And that's just trusting this very deep instinct that's so deep it doesn't even feel like it's coming from you. Right. And that can be, again, why it feels like destiny. Because, you, you know, you, we, I, I used to think you, what it was to have a dream was that you figured out what you most enjoyed and you set goals and, and had a, sort of an imagination-based fantasies about what you wanted to carry out and you put your body in the action you pushed towards that dream and you pushed and you pushed and you made what you wanted to do. Yeah. But now it seems from my experience that it's your dream dreams you. And it pulls you towards it if you allow it to. Right, If right, you right. don't fight. So do you think that determination, what you're talking about, is when, like, the mind overpowers the heart? Like you said, like, the heart is gentle. And if you don't reel it back, the mind will just, what, steamroll the heart. Yeah. So yeah. Is, that, is that, like, kind of a... Definitely. Yeah. Why did I want to move here when I was 18? This is one of the more difficult places I could have moved sure. any, at any time, but especially at that age. A lot I heard of people, that Alicia Keys song. There you go. You she, was, she was from here, though. Too, yeah, so. she's from here. But she's telling us, like, be warned. I'm yeah. from here. Yeah, and yeah, still yeah. She's intense. like, she's giving you a flag. Yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to go here, and I couldn't really explain it. Right. Uh, I mean, I had, at that time especially, made up a lot of what seemed like very legitimate reasons. But deep down inside, I had a lot of doubts. And a lot of people told me I was crazy. It was a bad decision. and I'd make it, it'd be a horrible mistake. But I still felt compelled to do it. And, and if I had listened too much to my mind... You know, my rational, it was an irrational thing to do, Yeah, <clears throat> but I did it anyway. And then even the reasons I moved here for all disintegrated instantly, which was another challenge. And I realized, wow, that was just to get me here. And now I'm supposed mm -hmm. to be here for something else to happen. So what was that? What was like the impetus that, that got the thing that got you to New York and fell apart quickly? Well, the point was just to come to New York because it feels, felt here. like that's where things were supposed to happen. Like where it, there was never, for as long as I could remember, if I was going to move anywhere, that's where you go. Sure. That just seemed like what you did. What, what, it's sort of there were these assumptions. For example, if you play music, you play as intensely as you can. If you make a painting, you make it as, you know, it, it, I guess it was the most intense place, you know. <laughs> right. I was drawn to that intensity feeling. So no, initially I was gonna do go go to school, or um, I was very interested in being a fashion designer actually. And I set up. It's a bit of a long story, but to make it short, I got hired at a company called Com des Garcons huh. when they used to be in Soho, and that's that was my first job. I moved here with that job already. I'd written them letters when I was fifteen. Okay, they said, okay, well, if you're really serious and you want to work here when you're eighteen contact us again cool and so i waited wow. three years and which seemed like an eternity and came out here and after two months i was fired and cried <laughs> and it was a disaster and i thought huh. what am i doing but i managed to stay and that's when this other feeling started pulling you know i never wanted to be a musician i i played piano since i was a little kid and always did music but it was so second nature and i don't mean in terms of my skill level but it was such an ins inseparable part of life that it wasn't even what I considered an interest mm. or a, a hobby or a passion. It was something you did, like once you learn how to read, you sure. just learn how to read. It doesn't occur to you to be a professional reader <laughs> or something like that. Right, so, right. Was piano your first instrument? Yeah, that was my first whole musical encounter. I'd never really heard much music even before that. My dad played piano and was taking lessons himself when I was born. So... That was the first music 
that I was exposed to and, and him taking lessons and seeing his piano teacher and then me taking lessons around four. That was the first time I'd seen anyone else play music and, and to see adults that played music as a, a living and realize that music could make you feel this certain way that nothing else could and that it wasn't sure. a fluke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember very clearly watching one of my piano teachers play this piece that she was working on because she was actually a graduate student who taught kids as part of her education. And she played this piece and I got these waves. It was really like an orgasm. I didn't know that at the time, being five years old, six years old. These waves of, of physical sensation, cool. like tingling chills up mm. your butterflies in your stomach and the spine going crazy. And I just thought it was some weird thing. It was actually a little bit unnerving. Sure. Not sure if you want to feel it again. And then I realized that it, it kept happening in the certain part of the melody and that's what music could do. Hmm. Do you still get that feeling? If if the, if I do things properly, yeah. <laughs> I feel yeah. like that's like the, piece the feeling is good. you like try to... Yeah, that's what I'm trying to like get at. tapping into that. Well, that's that's fine, right? That is the goal of, 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 of all music as far as I'm concerned and certainly what I'm trying to do using my particular approach to it. Yeah, I mean, you sort of say it, it's kind of talking about the new record, sort of, especially the song that came out today, Music is Worth Living For, kind of listening to music can make you a better person. And I'm sort of a little curious, do you ever get kind of, like, what keeps you kind of positive about this stuff? I mean, do you ever get jaded by, like, the business aspects or all these other aspects of it that don't involve playing music but you sort of have to deal with daily? Like, how do you push through that? There's been frustrations, not specifically because of the business. I actually really like that side of it because I feel like it's something you have control over. So much of the musical phenomenon is, is so mysterious and there's this X factor called other people where it doesn't matter how, what you do, once you put it out there, who it doesn't matter. Sure. They could like it. It's, it, it's, it's the strangest thing because you, you can build a house and you know that this is a great house and you, and you see what you build and someone can walk in and say, this, this, it's standing up, the door is open and closed properly, <laughs> this is a functioning house. You build this song, someone might hear and go, huh, I don't know, this, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't, this isn't working at all. But that's a great possibility because someone else might say this is the greatest song i've ever heard and that's what keeps you hooked in this is it's like gambling i guess mm -hmm. you might this next one might just be the thing that connects with those other people i liked the business side of it from the very beginning and uh i guess was warned again and maybe by part of my own mindset by many people to watch out for that and stay away and it's it's these people are evil and don't get close to the people you work with and i just went against that and followed this other instinct that I, this is all part of it and i enjoy that in many ways just as much as i love the whole thing i'm very fortunate i feel lucky i don't think that's that always happens and for those that don't enjoy all of it i have sympathy for them uh i'm fortunate that i like every part of it from laying out the artwork to laying out the tour to laying out the show to being on tour to doing what we're doing right now because this i feel like it's my purpose so it's all a chance for me to to serve this feeling in one way or another. And it all counts. So even going into a meeting is me representing this sensation I'm trying to manifest with people that are there for one reason or another to help that happen, even if it's just for money or that's their day job or whatever it is. Here's the chance I have. It's not about me. It's about this feeling. And can we use the, the, the resources that we have to maximize it? How do you find it's been the best way to like, you know, walk into like, you know, one of those a label thing or something like that where there's this person works for this thing and this and this and this and you're looking at like 10 people 
And like you said, their intentions, you know, they're all going to tell you the same thing, but their intentions could be quite, you know, quite different. How do you find like walking into a place like that and really getting people to get like invested in your music, like not just working on it? Like, I know that's a, a tricky thing when it's, people are speaking for you, especially. You just you just hope that the party gods bring <laughs> the right people into your sphere. Yeah. And I've, again, been very, very lucky to... I would have been lucky just to have one great person. And I've had probably a, a dozen at this point. Like, phenomenal one in a billion people that would they have a loyalty and a work ethic that inspires me. Mm-hmm. And do what they do because it's how they live, uh, which in a way is even more inspiring and admirable. It's not just the way they do what they do for me. It's the way they do what they do for everything they do in life. Sure. And you just hope to find those people. And when you do find one, you do everything you possibly can to to to, to keep them, to, to give them recognition and to, to thank them. Uh, but you also accept that there will be people who just don't... Uh, get it and i don't mean and they could even be right and that's where it gets puzzling because i think <laughs> this guy doesn't like it. well maybe he's onto something uh you just it, 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 for those that are meant to be part of it they will and you just hope that you find them sooner than later mm. definitely i mean and that sort of feeds into this idea on the record kind of this duality of kind of i don't know light or dark or good and evil and i think you have a really interesting perspective sort of that like the the darkness you know the light illuminates the darkness they can't exist without each other i mean how did how did you kind of like, how does that ideology kind of play into your life? And because I feel like the darkness can be overwhelming for so many people. Well, it's an age old concept. Yes. And it's one of the oldest, maybe even the oldest theme <laughs> to work on. Yeah. But that's because it seems to, to explain so much and resonate with so many experiences in life on very minute, almost, uh, inconsequential scales and then on very intense, uh, painful and, and, and dramatic skills. I think the, the basic way that I started recognizing or relating to that concept of, of light and dark being uh, a harmony rather than a dissonance was that I was motivated to start doing this because I felt bad. Mm-hmm. And if I had felt good all along from the start, I was just by default of a kind of negative person and, sure. and coming from that spectrum but really wanted to feel a different way. And that's when I found that music and working on this kind of stuff made me feel differently. It didn't just make me feel better. It made m- me feel like a different version of myself that was better. So you could imagine what would it feel like, be like to be me, but be really great or to feel really great. And this work or this mission put me in direct contact with that effort and gave me a reason to, to do that effort. It wasn't just to cheer myself up for the sake of it. It was right, to right. cheer myself up by making something that maybe mm-hmm. someone else would to just amplify the light. But there would have been no reason to amplify the light if I hadn't been awash in shadow. Right. And so then I'm very thankful in a strange and almost perverse way for that shadow. And this is sure. the thing that you can get caught up in where you don't want to lose that painful side because that's where so much of the inspiration has come from. But uh, and then some people may even create that pain, right? To, yeah, to be able to create, yeah. I, and I, I've had experience with that as well, and it's not something I'm I'm proud of at all. But you learn, I have learned from it. It's humbling and enlightening. Ultimately, I don't think anyone has to go through that, and you shouldn't, shouldn't seek out to do it. Most times, it just seems to happen <laughs> on its own, even if it's by your own choosing. It, it it 
I don't think you say, okay, well, actually, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think you say, I'm going to be a horrible person. But there were times when I almost was thinking that way. <laughs> I, I gave up in a sense. I just can't. Just to push yourself to a different extreme or, or just because you had given up on just people poor, at that point? Poor moral character and yeah. succumbing, succumbing to that. Uh, but you try to then transform that into something worthy of human life. And yeah. that's the alchemical process you know you're making lead into gold you're making something base and uh even poisonous into something uh, uh like the life force elixir do you think that that's inherent or do you think that it's learned like nature you know nurture versus nature like i think it's inherent and then the awareness of it is learned mm-hmm. yeah so i think most of these things we're all going through and that's why these archetypal stories and and and, and concepts and and, and myths they make sense and they resonate on, on many levels. Sure. They resonate even if you don't know that they're resonating. So you can like a movie like, uh, I don't know, a lot of Disney cartoons. And I, when I was so young, I didn't know any of these things, but there was something very deep that I obviously grasped sure. without even realizing that it was already in me. And that is a bit of a mystery. I don't think they still really figure out where that's emerging from right. i think some of it you are born with yeah oh, it's if- interesting you say that because and then things like disney and even someone like mr rogers or something have admitted not admitted like it's some scam but they, they their purpose was understanding the psychology of a child and catering to things that would serve that child so i mean like you said just to even have that knowledge there would be an inherent set of things and people that you need to address that are just always there. Yeah, and what and better way be to there. do it than with a cartoon like Pinocchio, something right. very appealing and yeah. instantaneous and, and, and approachable. And to be honest, that's one of the reasons why I've really liked working in the, the style that I've wound up working in is because it's approachable sure. and inviting and it's it's engaging and it's easy. Mm-hmm. But you can go in there. I mean, that's a, it's a lofty goal, and I'm not saying I pulled it off, but... You want to be able to create something very palatable that then within it has the space to explore the, the human experience. When you write, do you like go in with things like that on your mind or do you kind of just go in and write and whatever comes, comes and you turn it into something? I think it's a bit of both, but it seems to fall on the instinctual level. Yeah. For this album, I had no concept going in. I mean, the album had been in the works for 12 years. So some of the songs it started writing in 2005. Mm. So you're always writing. Yeah, for better or worse. I and mean, how do you write? Do you write on piano still? Yeah, on piano yeah. 90% of the time. Cool. I mean, how, 93%. How did the record kind of come together as far as... It, I mean, obviously it's about to come out. I mean, how, were you just, how did you pick what would fit and work kind of the more spoken word type stuff in? Well, as far as the song choices, that was rather happenstance as they went i'd work on one for a long time and think that ah, this one's just not that good and set it aside and then i would go back and think you know what it is good and and maybe i'll finally finish that song i've been working on for 10 years and now it will finally come together and it did i found that great lyric and i can't believe mm-hmm. it took me 10 years to f- mm-hmm. have that lyric yeah, plop yeah. in i would like to think it was from this wrestling and i just worked and worked but it would just happen really quick and then you feel so stupid that you couldn't why couldn't i have done that 10 years ago it took no effort at all but that's what's it's it's a strange i mean this is said time and time again that it seems like it's just one day it's just all there one day i could write six songs 
so fast I could barely keep up to record the ideas. Right. I would stop recording one because a new idea would come and I would get it. But it's not as though I thought up this idea. It just It's just there. So I, I feel like with the, the creative process so much, it seems I've heard this echoed by, by, by countless people, I guess almost down through the ages, that you, it doesn't even seem that you can set the conditions to receive an idea. Because I don't even think that I've... I th- is is something I've been able to do uh, reliably. You just, when it does happen, your obligation is to to jump on it, to put down everything and to go. Do you demo everything? I, like if you have an idea, you run and demo it? Well, I'll record something, even if it's just into a tape recorder or just even on the keyboard if it has a record function, just not to forget it. But even the, the, the best ideas, the best song ideas I've never recorded and just remembered. Yeah. Even for 10 years, just yeah. remember that melody. And that's how you can also tell it's good. Yeah. I do I do respectfully disagree in a touch where I want to bring up because I feel like a lot of people I know who are artists, musicians and and that type who solely go on the creative urge mm-hmm. like you had the background in music and and like you said music was such an inherent part of you at that point that anytime that ex- that expression needed to come music was the extension and I feel like with any instrument, I'll always, I always tell people who are like younger musicians who are, who are like waiting for this like eureka moment. I'm like, they will come. And like, you're right. They come in unpredictable times and you don't know. But you can set the conditions for yourself by being adequate at your instrument. Oh, that's for sure. And by like, Practicing. And by like the thing going into your head. You know, the weeks of practice and, and crappy stuff you do prior to that by forcing yourself to play actually allows you to execute what comes into your head. Hey, I, I, I can't, I'd like to disagree with it, but I can't because for one whole month I spent in a formal recording studio mm-hmm. at great expense with a lot of other people involved and barely got anything done uh-huh. and was completely upset about it, uh, quite, quite dismayed. And then went out of that, and two weeks later recorded everything. So, and and my manager even said, he said, you know, this 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 is exactly what I thought was going to. You were going to go in, you were going to get very frustrated, <laughs> and then you were going to come out, and then you were going to record like the, 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 the greatest stuff. Like the, you had to go in, you had to have a bad time. I, said, oh, I don't know I, your manager, but that's a great. He <laughs> wouldn't appreciate that. I can actually <laughs> even sort of visualize yeah. like the outfit, everything going on. It's really He's good. out there, so you can. Uh, <laughs> that was a bit of an exact. That's my exaggerated caricature of him. You play everything on the record, right? I, I did. I did, and then I brought in uh, my excellent guitar player dave pino to add another layer of guitar because his tone i write these parts and and i like what i'm able to do on guitar for this music but i'm not a traditional guitar player so he he especially his tone he just gets this tone that i don't have um yeah the guitars are well thanks they're nice on that right yeah (laughs) it's a lot of stuff stacked up but there's certainly a lot of dave pino yeah very very capable and very thankful to have him in my in my band I, I agree with what you're saying. All I can say is that the best stuff I've written mm-hmm. for me is essentially sitting down and just closing my eyes and saying, if I could imagine the greatest song that's never been written, what would it sound like? And then trying to make that. Yeah. You know, hear it. Okay, it would start like this, and then it would go like this, and then there'd be this part like this. Right. And sometimes it might not pan out, and you start realizing, ah, it's not that good. Or you you tweak it a bit, you move the chords around, and and sometimes it can happen from jamming and just sitting down at the piano and playing. Sure. 
And I have talked to people who I respect a great deal who work rigorously and force themselves to record 10 hours a day, whether they get anything usable or not. Mm -hmm. And and part of me admires that and thinks, gosh, I wish I could do that. And part of me wants to vomit when I think of that idea. But I also can say, as you said, and this is true, and I kind of forget that it's true, but I've practiced piano for, you know, probably thousands of hours at this point after all these years, 34 years and that does add up to some condition in itself being set. Yeah. So time spent does seem to be important one way or another. Do you set time aside kind of every day to write? Because I feel like, I mean, do you, are you kind of regimented as far as that goes? No. I'll think of stuff and then I'll write it down. But it's not, that will just happen when I'm driving somewhere in the airport or, or something like that. But I do practice piano as much as I can just for the sake of practicing it. So working on some piece you know, that someone else wrote, trying to learn it. and Do you practice mainly classical stuff? Yeah. yeah. Just for the challenge of it. And going back to what you asked about the frustrations of the business and sure. and maybe not even so much the business, but this career mm. as music as a profession, recently through these uh, efforts of to just practice piano for no particular reason, mm. It showed me and reminded me that no matter whatever happened, I could always go, not back, but that that connect, that relationship with the instrument that I had from the very beginning is still there. And no one can take that from me unless a hands got chopped off or something. I mean, and that, that being said, you know, I wonder, like, you know, in that context, you know, music seems to be, it's such a part of you. But I wonder, like, the message is so important to you. It's so important to not only relay the message, but relay it in a very particular way. And I wonder if like, for some reason through the years, like music stopped connecting with people. Do you think you would find like a different vessel to try to get that message out? If like the Andrew WK, like musical model, like just wasn't connecting or working anymore. Like, would you find another way or attempt to find another way to like, to spread what you're trying to spread kind of. I've thought about that recently in a, kind of horrifying way because I never would even allow myself to entertain the thought of not being able to do this. Right. And I can't, still can't fully imagine a circumstance so dire that I'd have to completely shut everything down, but it is possible. And it's good to be, I, I suppose, aware of that, at least just even for the humility that's involved in facing that possibility. Sure. Anything that I guess going back to that, as 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 cliched as it might sound, adds more light. Any sort of service uh, seems like it would be of a similar value, hmm. maybe even more valuable for you know you know to 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 be used by the party gods to bring more party to the planet. That's what I want to do. And if this this seems like the most efficient and the best use of my skills so far. Mm-hmm. But if as they'll they'll tell me what to do. If they want to shut this down, they'll shut it down, and they'll send me on some other task. And I'll I'll, I'll do the best I can to not let my ego stand in the way of that and not be too crushed. Um, when you speak to them, do they speak to you, or do you summon the party gods? It's, it's all c- part of that instinctual. You know, it's 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 it's. I suppose it's like a vision, you know. Hmm. But usually, when I thought of again, sort of like dreams, like you dream up your dream. And I have a vision, but it's not my vision. It's like the the vision is shown to you. I think going back to what we were talking about, about that type of revelation, you are presented with something. And then the only part that's up to you is, can you carry this out? Mm. I'm 
I mean, how does your definition sort of of partying kind of figure into things? Because I was trying to, I was talking about you with someone earlier today who wasn't familiar with your music. I was like, oh, it's about partying. She was like, oh, it's just like about getting messed up. And I was like, no, 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 no it's much no. more nuanced. And she was like, well, how? And I was like, I can't really explain it, but, but trust <laughs> me, it's very nuanced. It's also part of the trick <laughs> is how could partying be nuanced? And, it, and that's the thing is it kind of isn't. I mean, the, the, the concept is, is, is a non-concept in a sense. It's meant to be as, <laughs> right. as, as bluntly simple as it could be. And then this idea, oh, well, and I appreciate you saying, oh, there's more to it than that, because I'd like to think there's more to it, of course, even if it's just that there's songs and there's some writing and there's things to explore. There kind of isn't more to it than that. It's trying to celebrate existence. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's it. I guess so many people, I guess, associate partying with, like, binge drinking. Intoxication. Like, intoxication, yeah. yes. Chemical intoxication. Well, you can get intoxicated on music and, and you can get intoxicated on all different intensities of life and uh, i wouldn't write off any of those um i think uh, what's the the quote uh the road of of excess leads to the palace of wisdom so you want to live life to the fullest to the sense that you're equipped to do so Mm. and past that level of full where it overflows is where damage can be done that actually takes away some of the life force right so you're trying to keep it filled all the way to the top and and push yourself but i think it is as simple as as having a party about life that, that, that's the mindset i wanted to think so that, and, and and that it's meant to be baffling in a sense too because someone the, the quick things that even i would question is well what is this count as partying is something horrible you know, is all this the evil? The, the classic question, well, if God exists, how could there be evil? It's like, exactly. It's, just, it's, it's pretty baffling that it is, but it, but it does. Yeah. And that's for us, that's not his fault. That's for us not understanding it. So it, it, it all counts as partying, and that's why it's challenging. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like these simple concepts always kind of lend themselves to overanalyzing, too. Like you always It want- can be fun to do that, though. Yeah. I enjoy it. <laughs> Unless it starts, yeah, if it starts to, to, to wear you down, then you can just go back to just party hard and yeah. keep it keep it as, as one-dimensional as you want. Back I always wanted it to tags. be, yeah, very one-dimensional, and then you could go inside that dimension, and it would be limitless in dimension. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's like the deliverer in your case. It's like the concept is simple, but once people get to know you and what you're trying to say and and you you understand that it just comes from a different place so it makes you think a little um i wonder about your t-shirts because i'm well listen i'm a big white t-shirt wearer okay most of my life got a crispy on right now oh wow there you go and and, uh but the interesting thing to me is like i really enjoy like a crispy white crisp like straight out the pack Oh. When it's like in the summer and I got a nice tan, like the white on the tan skin. You don't even wash it out. You would, you would wear it straight I don't out. even wash out oh, of the wow. pack. That's I don't care factory where it sizing. That new crease. Right. Don't even mind. <laughs> that smell. And that like, chemical smell. And I feel like by the time shirts get to like where you rock them, I start turning them into like rags. <laughs> so like yeah, I am how, dressed in rags. So I, so I need speak. to know how it got from like packaging to this like is it a a washing process or just wearing process and do you wear the crispy whites out of the house or do you have to like wear them in the house for a while to like get them worn in i would it would only be the most extreme circumstances that i let's say i got to a place and somehow i didn't have my dirty whites yeah 
but someone had just bought a brand new pack of t-shirts and that's all there was of course i'd wear that okay. over a black shirt or sure, a red sure. shirt or any other shirt that might be there but if i have my druthers i want it to be well worn in i want it to yeah. be partied in and it does take some party but not as much as you might expect no I'm white shirts go they, they go, go so quick. fast they yeah, go real, real quick yeah. yeah and since i'm not looking to keep them clean since right. that's not high in the priority list they go even faster sure so i could get one to this state that it's in right now probably in two shows two shows yeah maybe even one but it's a do very you feel like embarrassed show. when the fresh one is on like you just yeah, can't wait bit. to get it filthy a little bit yeah it doesn't fit quite right it's almost sort of like denim or leather i feel i it's, feel like the fit is once huge. you sweat yeah. it it it, it it, it takes the shape of your of your body. I'm shocked no one's approached you yet. Like a Fruit of the Loom. Wait, do you have a brand? I do. And yeah, it is you Fruit must. of the Loom. It's Fruits? <laughs> it is. Because I'm surprised they haven't like offered like a distressed I Andrew WK line. I'm or, not, you know? in their mind, the best uh, representative <laughs> oh, of their product. Oh, yeah. Of course, I think you're right. And I would love to represent. <laughs> giant I do wear six their foot, product. Uh, Dude, are you uh, kidding me? Giant six foot uh, thing of grapes. Is better, hey, I, you, hey, know? you know what? <laughs> well, for, everyone likes. I think terrifying. Those, those guys are very appealing in their own sense. So are, I don't yeah. want to disrespect yeah. them. I would love to represent them in a formal capacity to be a spokesman for Fruit of the Loom. Yeah, but I don't blame them for not wanting to be associated with me because for me it's a win. For them, it's a big risk. Sure, you know what I mean. Yeah, they'd really be stepping out their comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. But they, I, I found these to be the best That's fit, fun. the best consistency. But they're always changing them too. They, yeah. they always got to revamp to keep their brand interesting. Um, they, but they've been the, le- the the I guess the less uh, the lesser of the of b- between Haynes and what's the other one Jockey. Jockeys. They they really are into now. We did this. Now we did that. Now right. the collar's thicker. Now the yeah, shirt's yeah. longer. So yeah. this the one Haynes is still feel like like stiff to me. Always. You know, Haynes, Haynes did yeah. something to their necks. Yeah, they like neck thickened up the neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they yeah. think and that's like great because it's supposed real... to lie flat. Exactly. Yeah, Don't like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. You really got to reinvent the wheel. That's, that's I, I'm embarrassed to say that, that I've gone a little bougie of late and I started yeah. wearing polos. Oh, wow. Ooh. They're nice, though. They're nice. That might be out of my league. Moving on up. Honestly, they're too expensive for white shirts. They are. That's how you can tell it's But this is how much crispy whites mean to me. And I also, I, I mean, I have a very oddly shaped body. Odd so, body. Odd body. <laughs> no, you don't. I do. Like a pea body? Oh shaped like a pea? Don't make me get into this. More of an eggplant. <laughs> but, but like, if I were to show you guys, like, where pants would actually sit on my body if they went on my hips, I mean, would you like me to show you? High hip, you're yeah, saying. Yeah, I mean, I'll show you. Let's see. I mean, you can't see. This is, like, I'm sagging like crazy. Yeah, you, you, this I, is my I never would have known... <laughs> Oh, wow. So this is actually where, like, my pants should sit. Wow. So you have very long legs. And no, yeah. And Since this is, is a podcast, they're very high. <laughs> the pants are very so, high. Benny has two ribs. Where's your this belly button? Where's your belly button right now? Is it under the belt? Right there. Oh, wow. And wow. this is my rib. <laughs> <laughs> your rib is only two inches above your belly button. I don't think yeah. I've ever seen that. Yeah. That's not odd at all. (laughs) (laughs) That's your rib. I feel like we're going to have to release this as the press shot. Well, I got to say, I think... I think for a man or a woman, this this, uh, balance, this... What's the right word? This, Feng shui of my yeah, body? Yeah, to have long, long legs. Because now you look a lot taller when you did oh, that. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Should I do that? I think it was flattering. Yeah. Really? I think it worked well. Do you think that helps with drumming? What? Long legs? Yeah. No, I think it hurts. 
Really? Yeah, mm. I think drumming is a short man's game, actually. But you've like, noticed a lot of good too. short drummers. Yeah. So you can you can play far away from the do you play far away from the kid? Well, you shouldn't. I mean, that's where you <laughs> well, rotate mean, right, cuffs, right, right. like it's all sorts of things. Yeah. I'm glad we talked about drums, though, because I stumbled upon your 24-hour drum marathon. Okay. And, I mean, how did was this your idea? No, this was MTV Viacom's idea. It was a Viacom O Music Awards. Okay. Uh, which was, I guess, CMT, and it was all the Viacom TV. So MTV, MTV2 maybe cmt but they did these uh in addition to the awards they did these events or sort of stunts uh around them and they had the idea to, to have somebody drum for 24 hours <laughs> and uh i volunteered for that yeah. i guess they approached me and i think because i wasn't really a drummer right i didn't think through uh how how what would really be involved right. I mean, i've drummed Sure, but out of respect for even the drummers that I play with in my own band, I would never call myself a drummer. Just so like I never call myself a guitar player. I'm proficient in keyboard. That's it. Piano. I watched the video of the last five minutes, and who was with me? On the, was it just me alone, or was it just you? Just okay. you and some sick drum gloves. Yeah. And, yeah, and the funniest thing is, I thought my hands and my arms were just going to be destroyed. Yeah, it was from sitting down. Oh yeah, for twenty four hours. It was the most brutal. Your back, sure. my back, and the, the the creases from the fabric, like bed sores, yeah. essentially. Yeah. yeah, I had drum sores, but yep. not hand. My hands were were totally fine. Were your hands numb? No, not really. My back hurt. That was probably the biggest backache. And as soon as we were done, I was fine. I mean, I was huh. tired. Yeah, but I was joined by many great drummers who. Played duets with me. Questlove jumped on, I saw. Oh, yeah. Questlove, Chad Smith. That was one of the most... Cool. That was towards the end. That's and he really so gave cool, me this yeah. boost of... It was a powerhouse drummer. Nice. Yeah. Mikey Ramon came by. Cool. <laughs> that's, uh, that's amazing. <laughs> Zach from Hanson came by. Uh, Liberty DeVito wow. came oh, by. Awesome. Among, cool. Amongst many others that I, I apologize for that's not being a That's an all-star drummer. All-star drummer. That yes. kept me going. <laughs> yeah. As that's did awesome. the, uh, the folks watching in Times Square. We were at the Oakley store. Yeah. And they would watch through the glass. That all helped. So it it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. And then it was much harder in other ways. Yeah, all of my friends who I mentioned you were coming on were so excited about your connection with Obituary. They're like, you played with the guy from Obituary. And they were, yes, everyone was Donald like... Donald Tardy, an yeah. amazing, amazing, amazing drummer. Yes. Oh, yeah. He, and he, he was my first drummer oh, in really? my band. Yeah. I didn't know that. It's a very strange story. Wow, yeah. How did Another that Destiny story. Where uh, uh, a guy that eventually became my manager had grown up in florida and we were talking this was early on so i was probably 19 or 20 we were talking about obituary this was in new york and he mentioned that he had grown up in that town he was friends with obituary i just couldn't believe that so obituary at that point and to this day was there was no band i liked more hmm. and spent so much time listening to it. i just really clicked with their music and, and, and i'll say i like metal and i like death metal but there's very few bands that I have spent that much time with in that genre, or really any genre. Sure. And I liked the singing especially, and I liked the drumming especially. I liked it all, but I was just blown away by the Tardy brothers. John Tardy, who sings, no right. one sounds like that. And Donald Tardy, who drums, who has this particular approach. It's very musical and tight and tasty, as they mm -hmm. would say. And when I found out this guy had their home address... I wrote a letter to Donald Tardy and asked him to be in my band, which was the most absurd thing that you would ever do. And I guess it was, again, I just turned off my rational mind that would have yeah. told me, why would you even bother? You're just going to make a fool. He won't even open the envelope. It's just... And two weeks later, maybe not even, maybe a week later, I got home from work and there was a 
message on the answering machine and say, yo, man, this is DT. I got your your demo. It's cool. I'm, I'm up for it. Let's do it. Whoa. And at that time, the obituary had sort of been on a hiatus. Yeah, yeah. And next thing I knew, Donald Tardy was the drummer in my band, no recording on that first album, and then essentially assembled my entire live band and crew, some of the guys I still play with now, and wow. have become my best friends. How cool. Wow. And if that is an example of, of a, an outlandish dream coming true, because that's the thing. I didn't do anything to make that happen. I mean, I took that small bit of action. I mean, that's a real bit of action. Just no, I mean, yourself out. Most ah, people, but, most people but, stop themselves from writing that letter, you know? But it's ter- what you're saying, like turning off the rational mind, turning off that part that says, like, nah, right. what's right. the point? Yeah, this yeah. guy will never get back to me. You're like, fuck it, I'll send it. Yeah. I but like there was that. other powers at work. Sure. Because there were so many other things that, like, he himself wanting to do it that had to come into alignment. Into alignment. Like, yeah. And, and these other kinds of synchronicities. And maybe it's just interesting to me more than, than to the outside observer, but I'm very amazed by it because I think of how many other ways things could have gone and how many other people could have been the first drummer that could have formed a different band and... I guess I'm just, I'm very thankful. That's like the butterfly effect thing. Like, very thankful for the butterflies that brought Donald Tardy yeah. into my world. Um, I need your advice. Okay. Now, try I, my best. I used to read your advice column. Oh, thank you. That, which was very cool. Thank you very and much. And that's actually, I think, when I was like, when I discovered, I'm like, oh shit, Andrew WK's deep. And, you well, know, that's um, kind of you to see. So I heard in an interview you were talking about. Um, you had like a bit of a, a road rage incident. Mm. I mean, it was in that Glenn Beck interview. Um, and you were talking about an incident where you like got mad on the roads and you had to like, you know, calling someone an asshole and oh, like yeah. just, just hot on him, but then had to reel yourself back. Recently, this has been a trigger of mine mm. and I feel like I'm pretty close to like maybe like murdering someone in the wrong context because <laughs> you live in new jersey um, man when you get mad at them or they get mad at you or me both. it's like me getting mad but way madder than i should because it's not just the thing that happens it's like it represents some like great injustice right, right. and disrespect that i'm taking and internalizing very personally right now now i understand when you can step back and you realize all people have problems and you know they're unique and you can't understand anyone else's situation you know once i relax i can think like that Mm -hmm. what would be a useful tool in that moment to reel myself back there's there's i've used all kinds of tricks for this exact thing so i have some latest ones because they actually happened okay an old one that i used to use was oh what if i ended up knowing this person well that that actually Mm. happened where this woman pulled out in front of me and I almost hit her and was just driving. It was, she wasn't even driving badly, but in the mood I was in, right. it offended me and it was not the right thing to do. And I was almost going to give her a dirty look or just kind of in, feeling that way. And then I looked and it was my mother-in-law. Wow. Oh, okay. And yeah. that was a real example of that. Huh. So sometimes I think, oh, what if this is someone that I, I know or if they found out that I was mad at them while driving, it would have a negative impact on, on their life or mine. Okay. Uh, I guess an easier version that's very similar to that is I think, oh, that person's going to the hospital because someone's dying or they're about to have a baby or right. there's some emergency they're in. Sure. That only applies if they're speeding or, or driving, especially aggressively. But giving a little benefit of the doubt there. Benefit of the doubt, because I've been in that situation myself sure. sometimes. Same. So that helps. 
And uh, beyond that, I think that that whole idea of thinking of it as a test, as a test, mm. it, but it does take it does take what you're trying to do is shorten the distance between having that intense emotional reaction and then remembering all these options of yes. other ways to look at yes. it. And you're trying to keep those other ways that you look at it for in front of that emotional sure. reaction sure, as sure, the sure. first point of, 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 of perspective. Right. But that is challenging. And that takes, pra- I think it just takes practice. I think kind of, uh, embarrassing yourself through shame of how low that behavior is and how despicable it is and how you don't want to be that is quite helpful like imagining a camera on you or like like your friends yeah seeing you being that guy not being your best self yeah (laughs) that kind of thing or your mom or anyone you respected that you wouldn't want them to see and and realize that's also you and you're kind of like your guardian angel the best version of you is it's like come on don't do this don't <laughs> right. I can see, don't let me see you be like this hmm. and to try through that kind of humility to say i'm not in charge of the world i'm right. not in charge of these other drivers i don't if they inconvenience me that's not some injustice right that's up to something bigger and far beyond me and i'm just lucky to be here at all and I should just try to cause as little problems as possible. <laughs> right. And this is not all set up for me yeah, and my yeah. convenience for me to get where I want to go without any problems or without any mis- missteps. It feels like it. It's so crazy. Uh, yeah, it, it is. Feels like it's it. a real specific thing in driving because the way yeah. we feel yeah. and behave in driving doesn't seem to happen in any, any other situation. Well, you feel really safe once you close yourself well, when, in very your detached. car. Very it's detached. True. You know, I've, I heard, I forget which comic, but the comic talked about how what other context... Do you see someone who lightly offends you and you're only a <laughs> foot or like two away that. from him and you'll be like, you fucking cocksucker. It's got to be like Bill like, Burr or If something. someone rushed by you in like an the elevator. Line. Or in the grocery store line. Or a grocery yeah. store yeah. and they were just down the aisle and you're like, you fucking <laughs> cocksucker. Or you just give them the finger. Fuck you, asshole. And you're like, whoa. Whoa, I dropped yeah. an orange. Like It brings yeah. out the worst. Yeah. I had a couple of things happen. Like one time I... It was me and my wife in the car, and it got to the point where I got out of the car. Oh no! Which yeah. is like bad, really far. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not that guy. I'm <laughs> That's pretty mellow. Yeah, out of the cocoon. Just, and, gotta be careful where I, you get out of the did car. Did you have a plan? No, I was heat just of the like, moment. Just it was hot, just something. Hot, I forget hot. exactly what happened, and I, I stopped myself, and I was like, "What am I fucking doing?" <laughs> yeah. And I got back in the car, and then within like a week, there was a story about a road rage incident, and someone got killed. Yeah. And I was like, I could have been that fucking guy. Andrew, do you practice any sort of breathing exercises or meditation or mindfulness type stuff? Or is that sort of just the music kind of does that for you? Uh, I mean, exercising, practicing piano, it takes a kind of concentration that's quite unique. Can't really think about much else uh, in a a way I enjoy. Performing is is that state. Anything that takes like full-blown effort. And then I guess the extreme flip opposite side of meditation i have tried it over the years there was a period when i was doing it very uh excuse me very consistently but it was so physically draining i was just dripping with sweat and i thought mm-hmm. this can't be how this is supposed to go <laughs> soaking wet from sitting still huh. really it took it was the hardest thing i'd ever done kind of like that drumming thing just mm. so brutal have you ever seen that jonah no no, experience? no never heard and that. i wasn't That's sitting in a crazy posture i would sit like this and after 45 minutes just drenched wow. for, and, and shaking from the effort to 
I'm not trying to like sit like a, a concrete statue, but sit still and it hurts. Yeah. And you're not supposed to move once it starts hurting and you're supposed to go past that. This right. was the school that I was in or sure. what it was described to me, which I don't even know what school it is. But I've, I've actually quite recently looked at it again and thought, you know what? There's, I, I, I can, I, I, I understand what this is supposed to feel like. It's supposed to feel like, I think, and I'm being presumptuous, like that perfect, beautiful clarity you get right before you fall asleep and then you wake back out of it or right as you're waking up from sleep before you've fully inhabited your conscious mind again. It's this in-between mm. space of pure clarity. Yeah. It's quite intense because you see everything for what it is without any of the judgments and, and pre-made decisions that overlap and cloud that clarity. Mm. So you see life is very short and it's all falling away and, and, and but it's kind of beautiful and it's bittersweet. Uh, and I think, I think maybe that's what people end up getting to with meditation is they go into that and then they stay there for the half hour hmm. and not just five seconds as you wake out of a, a sort of in between sleep. If you hmm. ever go to bed when, when it's bedtime or when other people are going to bed, but you sort of have the plan not to go to sleep. So you're just laying down. That's when I've been able to do it and gotten these few little brief moments, but it's quite heavy. Yeah. And sometimes if you watch a TV show that's very emotional or a movie that's very emotional and you come out of that, there's this period where there's this lingering echo of, of feeling. And mm -hmm. I, I, I can only say it as clarity again. It's kind of feeling where it makes you want to reach out to all the people that you might think you've ever wronged and, and, and do everything you possibly can to live a good life. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what that means, but it has to be good. Has to be coming from a good place. Do you ever come to that feeling when you're playing, whether it's per practicing or performing, playing music? Uh, it takes so much concentration for me that and, and physical effort that it's hard to lose yourself like that. Yeah, I I, I, I admire people that do that, and I kind of imagine what it would be like. I notice it, and then the minute you notice it, then it, you're out of exactly. it again. Right. Yeah. I think, oh, I'm playing really well, and then it will. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, then you it become conscious. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I, I'm sure with practice, that's part of the practice. I was thinking about the, these these world class concert pianists, the pressure oh my God. that they have to go to be a solo pianist. Yeah. Well, absolute perfection. And they look like it's effortless. Yeah. yeah. Like, a, 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 the pressure, like a golfer <laughs> or something, with that, or a chess player with it, this very quiet, uh, tense environment. We're just going into the place like Carnegie Hall. If there's nothing going on, has this, there's this, this, this palpable atmosphere. There's got to be like I'm getting anxiety just thinking. Well, about I, know, it. I know people don't <laughs> people don't think about it in that context. But I remember reading a quote from uh, Robert Plant that said like, in order to be what I am, like on stage, I have to have the biggest ego in the room. Like I have to feel like mm. I'm above all of this. And like I know it's like hard to imagine with someone with like a bow tie and coattails, but I bet some of these people are like gangster about what they do. They're like, you know what, motherfucker? Um, I'm like top five piano player in the world. You guys are coming to see me. I'm getting paid. Like, I bet they're like <laughs> more gangster than you there's think. There's a lot of that. Mm -hmm. You know? I think that goes into yeah. it. Yeah. It's gotta be. Confidence one way or another. Yeah. Whether it's psyching themselves up like a fighter or a boxer would. Yeah. Or if it's genuine confidence that came from 80 years right. of practicing <laughs> six it. hours a day. Yeah. Eventually, you just get so good that you yeah. really could be that good. Yeah, and be you're, like, you're Kobe Bryant, you know. Yeah, it's exactly. Just that. But they still, but th that discounts the real effort that it still right. takes and the real risks that they're taking. That's obviously part of the thrill 
of going to to watch someone in, be in that state of consummate skill, but also the tightrope walk. Right. I always feel like concert halls like that, and I'm not a religious person, but they give me the same feeling as going to church when I was a kid. Mm. Mm. Oh, like yeah, yeah, as a kid especially. It. Yeah, yeah. Because it was one of those event kind of spaces. It's just like a weird, yeah, the weird atmosphere. What do you though? think about the coughing? You ever notice that? There's always, there's <laughs> yeah, always coughing. Always coughing. <laughs> and you <laughs> can't tell where it comes from. I would just think, why would you just... And, I, and then I've been the person that went and had this really bad, ir- irrepressible cough. And you can't leave either because that makes noise to go oh, out the door. that's even worse, yeah. Oh, man. And you hear it on the recordings. I feel like they sell cough drops, like Ludens and stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah, they do. In the fancy bathrooms, yeah. they'll give you cough drops. I think so, for What's that What's the deal reason? with that? I did a, sa- I did a sound guy. bath recently and had to cough, and it was, oh, I my didn't God. even want to swallow. I was like, swallowing's going to be too loud. Oh it totally sounds like everyone's lying down. <laughs> Yeah. Talk about pressure. Yeah, yeah. sound baths are a lot of pressure. <laughs> Wait, you know, but judgment going on. I don't know those. what you're talking about. <laughs> a sound bath is silent. Uh, well, this was like uh, like the beginning. It was okay. like kind of a meditative thing at the yeah, beginning. Yeah, no, Jonah's then, into some shit. And, and then like, they started playing yeah. all these like they play all these kind of ancient instruments and bowls. Yeah, yeah, Tibetan singing bowls. Yeah, I love exactly. Someone would go. <laughs> it, just, it would be deafeningly loud, right? I thought I was so good, and then. And then the person I went with, she was like, uh, you, we're snoring. And oh, I was really? like, no way. Dude, I feel like and I would I was, be that guy. I was horrified. I feel like I would be that guy, like, breathing loud. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The whistle or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. My right nostril is 95% blocked. So I'm fucking that place. Yeah. yeah I'm, it was I need crazy. an oxygen mask. Um, I don't know yeah. too well. Yeah, thank you so much for coming by. And Wait, one last oh, yeah, one. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, this la- is extremely okay. pressing to me. Okay. Because okay. it's such an important part All the advice. of what you do. No, the advice, the advice I found. Was about the bar. Good. Okay. <laughs> I need to know your BPM. Oh, my chosen BPM? Your bangs per minute. Oh, headbangs? Yeah. Do you know? Have you ever been have you ever timed? Well, if I've, I if I headbang on a song like uh Party Hard, which is I think when we play it live, probably 165, 168 or something. Yeah, quick. That's fast. But I do it on, you know, ding, ding. I do it every other beat. Well, on, on I Get Wet or something, I would do it on every beat. So, yeah, I guess somewhere between 160 and 170. That's strong. We had one song called Headbang that uh, was on an EP, so it's a bit more rare. But we played live for a good period, uh, the last song of the, the first portion of our set. Or maybe it was the last song of the second portion of our set, but it has a very fast, not you know, not a grindcore fast, but and I was able to do that, but that was not pleasant. Yeah, at that speed. Do you get rock neck? You get a little. Well, of course, after the first few days, if you haven't done it in a while, I think my neck is. I've figured out the way that I can do it. Okay. Although it's very hard to do without being in the midst of the music and the performance, it's hard to do kind of on command. But I've never been able to do the the swirl. The, the 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 windmill here yeah. i've never been able to do that and uh yeah i mean i i i, I have my version of the headband that works for me gotcha yeah, everyone's got to find their own I guess. yeah i think yeah. so it's very specific i have one last question oh, just yeah, kind of related to the album um i watched the the little mini doc about the artwork yes which was yes yeah, i thought cool. so that, that art cool. is great yeah. thank I you love yeah. it. do you paint at all or draw i do but very infrequently um, sort of maybe like we were talking about where it's something I had done for so long out of the joy of doing it and for the need to do it or just something that was part of life. But there was a time when, yeah, I was going to go to art school and wanted to be a painter and work in fine arts 
<clears throat> and then I, I got much more interested in how that same skill set or some of those same disciplines or those same approaches could be applied to uh, what I thought was a bigger canvas like entertainment because mm-hmm. in entertainment you, it, it all counts right. if you want to make films you can make videos if you want to make clothes you can make your stage clothes you know in my case I'm not really doing that but uh, of course you can do paintings for your album cover you can you can make up songs so there was this amazing like everything counted in this business that's what I liked it wasn't just hanging a painting up on a wall it had utility it could be an album cover it could be a t-shirt design it could be a sticker it represented right. something right so now, in order for me to paint, it has to be for something. So the last painting I did was this taco eyeball guitar, uh, custom guitar that <laughs> That's I have. Awesome. Where, and that was really fun, and it made me think, oh, I should paint more. I think I saw you have a pizza guitar. I did the pizza guitar, too, yeah. That's cool. But it's also not sort of in the same areas, like drums and guitar. It's not one of my strongest, strongest things. So I'm trying to think, to pick what I think I have the best shot at getting the best at. <laughs> And letting the other things remain on the fringes and, and, and use them when necessary. I really want to just get better at piano because I feel that's the only thing I have the chance to actually get pretty good at. And by pretty good, meaning better than I am now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you to Andrew WK. Yeah, good thank job. You. Yes. Man, I wish I could have been here for Man. Thank you for coming by his new album. Uh, You're Not Alone comes out on March 2nd on a little label called Sony Music. Maybe mm. you've heard of it. Just a little, <laughs> you know, a little uh, workshop. Workshop. Little workshop. Yeah, they may have made your TV. You were uh, just talking about DIY. Yes. Yeah. We were, that is true. Uh, we got to get him on again, too, because the one thing I'm curious about now that we missed it is like, I feel like he's like Samson, where if you cut his hair, like his muscles would like would go down. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I feel like he's there's something buff, there. Dude. He's, he's pretty buff, bigger than I thought. Yeah, yeah. I certainly Taller wouldn't talk out of turn to him. I posted that. Know? I posted that photo. Stephen took this photo of me in between him and Benny, and I felt yeah. like like a like a little kid <laughs> like i look tiny you look really small I love it. No, yeah. and i'm not that small i'm like a regular size what is your person. height are you an average height man i think i'm you know i'm like 5'10 that's average yeah, that's average really... i mean well you can safely know that andrew wk and i are closer to gigantism than you are to dwarfism <laughs> yes okay yes. so yes. sleep well knowing that yeah 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 you get like you guys could play in the NBA, maybe. No, <laughs> six foot four in the NBA means you have to be wildly athletic. Really? Which there's a reason I do what I do, Jonah. Yeah, it's not my athleticism. I got it. Well, there's a reason we're recording a Pulse Music. Pulse Music. Pulse Music. Uh, it sounds amazing. So if you it like does. the way this sounds, book a session at Pulse Music. They've been very generous to let us use their studio. Uh, book a session with Stephen Grawalski. Tell him that we sent you, and your audio project will sound just as good as this podcast. Yeah, it's a great place. And you know what it came equipped with today? What's that? Not only a pot of coffee with a mug that says coffee makes you poop, but (laughs) Girl Scout cookies. Yes. Steven, can you tell us if at Pulse, does this come with part of the recording package? It could. Okay. For the right price. So. (laughs) It's in. It's in the cards. <laughs> Jonah, you want to? Do you? You have all of our uh, backslash things ready to go? Uh, yes, yeah, I was trying to think of a Girl Scouts 
cookie studio pun. And I was like, <laughs> thin minimizer or something. I was getting... Uh, uh, yeah. So, yeah, if you want to support this podcast, go to Pulse. After that, you can go to patreon.com slash going off track. Yes. And become a patron. Yes. Which right, we appreciate. Which yeah, we appreciate greatly. We see a lot of goofy outtakes, and we have uh, bonus episodes that you can uh, listen to. And I'd um, say the bonus episodes are really where, where we cut loose. Yeah, we cut loose. <laughs> when there's guests here, I feel like I feel like I have to behave. You're buttoned up. Yeah, I'm buttoned up. And when we're just kicking it on the bonus episodes. There is some dirty bonus episodes. I'm pretty open. I feel open. If any yeah. of you guys want to hear what doesn't make the cut. I do. There's definitely it, some things. It, it, it I forget almost sometimes that <laughs> you gotta pay other for humans it. are going to hear. It's sort of like you know? like that Jerry Springer, like too hot for TV. <laughs> yes. yes. What's the guy? Steve? Steve, Another yeah. Steve. It's like Steve. Do you think people would throw us an extra couple shekels if we did these shirtless? Maybe. I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> I don't know. Live stream. I am going to post more video, though. Too. More video. But you can so, only yeah. see it if you're a patron. Yeah, so, Jonah's yeah. wearing that Holden Caulfield hat again. So, <laughs> so you should But some people see prefer to pay as they go, and you can get you can shoot us some cash on Venmo. Dot com. Uh, Venmo got, dot com slash off track. Um, or you can leave us a nice review on iTunes if you don't have money, because that makes us look legit. We have some yeah. amazing people. You know who you are, Ren. Ren Volpe is a patron, and then every now and then he's like, oh, "I love that episode," and he sh- and he gives us money on on. Uh, yeah, you guys could uh, all take some Venmo. notes from Ren. Yeah, what up, Ren? You know? What up, though? Yeah, what up, though? Um, so yeah, thanks, Andrew BK, for coming by. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with the podcast next week. Yeah.